the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Judges. It says in Exodus 2.23 that their cries went up to the Lord and he heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with them. And then God sent a deliverer to rescue them. When you see people in distress, you often see in response to their distress when they cry out to the Lord that God comes to rescue them. That is good for us to remember when we're in distress. Because God loves to rescue His people. What a reassuring word from Pastor Gary today. We've all been there. The worries of life are heavy on our shoulders, and it feels like there's no hope in sight. But God is listening. He hasn't forgotten His promise to you. He said He would work all things for good for those who love Him, and He will do just that. His timing is a mystery to us. But if you're patient, you'll see him come through in his time. If you're struggling with doubt, God's word clearly portrays the way God fulfills this promise again and again for Israel. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Judges chapter 10 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. So the book of Judges, so named in Hebrew, it's called Shoftim because this is a list of military leaders or sort of like governors who are raised up by God uh, to bring leadership and help uh, to the people of Israel. And so there are 12 that are mentioned in the book of Judges. The ones in capital letters on your screen have more of a prominent role in the history of Israel. The lowercase letters indicate those have, you know, very little uh, said about them uh, in in the book of Judges, and we come to two of them uh, tonight who have very little said about them. This is number six on the list. This is Tola, and, and so if you look at chapter 10, verse 1, it says, after Abimelech there arose to save Israel, Tola, the son of Pua, the son of Dodo. <laughs> so now you know why he doesn't really get a lot spoken about him, Right? I mean, if your grandfather is, is Dodo, you know, what do we need to say about you? But anyway, he's a man of Issachar. That's the tribe he belonged to. And he dwelt in Shamir in the mountains of Ephraim. He judged Israel 23 years that he died and was buried in Shamir. That's all we have on him. That's it. You know, he reigns for 23 years, but there's, there's no mention of anything he did during the 23-year period. All we have is a little bit of his heritage there. His, his father's name was Pua. His grandfather's name is Dodo. And by the way, Tola in Hebrew means red worm. Can it get any worse? <laughs> right? So yeah, that's all we have on this guy. And, uh, 
And then, and then number seven is Yair. There's no J in the Hebrew alphabet, so his name is really spelled with a Y in Hebrew, Yair. And uh, he only gets uh, three verses. Tola got two. He gets one more than that. And this is what it says in verse three. After him arose Yair, a Gileadite, and he judged Israel 22 years. Now he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys. And they also had 30 towns, which are called Havoth Yair. Uh, which means villages of Jair, and to this day, which are in the land of Gilead, and Yair died and was buried in Camon. So that's all we have on him, and that he has 30 sons, and they each, you know, had their own F-150 that they drove. Um, well, that's what a donkey was the equivalent of back in the day, and that they each, you know, all of daddy's sons each got a town. So, you know, they had a town, and, and they had a, a cool car they drove, and that's all we know about this guy. That's it. So he gets a little honorable mention there after serving for 22 years. So, you know, Tola served 23 years. Yair serves 22 years. But that's all we know about them. And now we're going to come to uh, this cycle that we've been talking about uh, through the book of Judges. If you look at the next verse, verse 6, it says, And then the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. These are the false gods of the Canaanites around them, and the Ashtoreths, that's the female equivalent of Baal, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the people of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines, and they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So again, here's our cycle of sin in the book of Judges. You, you have at the top of the circle when they're following after the Lord, and that's what they would do when there was a judge in place who would kind of oversee them and lead them. As soon as the judge died, then they were left to their, to their own uh, discretion. And, and, you know, that's a dangerous thing when we're left to ourselves and we have no moral compass and no, no God in our lives. And so the book of Judges is replete with a statement about how every man did what was uh, right in his own eyes. We're living in a very similar day, unfortunately. And when you start to live like that, you're going to invite destruction or hardship in your own life. So on the cycle here, they fall into idolatry. So we start this vicious cycle. It says, or they started serving the Baals, the Ashtoreths. These are the various gods of the neighboring nations that were pagan. They were not serving the Lord, their God. And so as a result, verse 7 says, so the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the people of Ammon. So this is the next thing on that, on that cycle where Israel is oppressed by their enemies. You know, it's interesting if you, if you look at the previous verse we just read, some of the gods that they worshiped were the gods of the Philistines. Some of the gods they worshiped were the gods of Ammon. And so God, in effect, is saying, you want to worship those gods? Fine. If you want to be like those people? Okay. I'll bring those people into your lives. And so here come the oppressors who are going to come at the Ammonites in particular to attack and to besiege the Israelites. And it says in verse 8, from that year they harassed and oppressed the children of Israel for 18 years, all the children of Israel who were on the other side of the Jordan in the land of the Amorites in Gilead. So there's a little, you know, you got to be careful. Sometimes it's Ammonites, sometimes it's Amorites, but they're all in that vicinity there. This is the eastern side of the Jordan River. So on a map today, you'd be looking in the country of Jordan. That's where the Ammonites and the Amorites lived. In Gilead, verse 9, moreover, the people of Ammon 
crossed over the Jordan. So they come from the eastern side of the Jordan. They're going to cross over into Israeli territory. They crossed over the Jordan to fight against Judah also, against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim so that Israel was severely distressed. And so what happens when they get distressed? What do they do? They cry out to the Lord, right? That's what the next thing says. In verse, uh, next verse, verse 10 says, And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you because we have both forsaken our God and served the Baals. So this is the other part of the cycle. It's at the bottom of the circle where now they cry out to the Lord. And God is so gracious every time. Verse 11, So the Lord said to the children of Israel, Did I not deliver you? from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the people of Ammon and from the Philistines, also the Sidonians and the Melekites and Maonites oppressed you and you cried out to me and I delivered you from their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. Go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. All right, so this is a rebuke. God is saying, you turn to these other gods So, okay, then turn to them for your help. Why are you crying out to me? You don't really worship me. You only want me to rescue you. Please don't get into that cycle where you only seek the Lord when you want him to bail you out of something. That's that's a, a very natural part of our human nature, but it's not a good thing. When we only turn to God because we want him to bail us out of a crisis. Well, verse 15, and the children of Israel said to the Lord, we have sinned. Do to us whatever seems best to you. Only deliver us this day, we pray. And so they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And his soul, now this is, this is a, a statement about God. And his soul, the Lord's soul, could no longer endure the misery of Israel. King James, I'm reading New King James, but King James says it this way. The Lord's soul was grieved for the misery of Israel. You know, we serve a compassionate father. And even though the people here had sinned against God time and time and time again, isn't it encouraging to know that despite their continual disobedience against the Lord and the Lord rebuked them and the Lord will spank them by sending these foreign nations, but still the heart of God is to save his people. There is no end to the compassion and mercy of God. I mean, he is our loving, merciful Father. And so it says there that he, he could no longer endure the misery of Israel. His soul, nefesh in Hebrew, could no longer endure katsar in Hebrew. There's this grief in the heart of God for his own people. And so he, he's going to rescue them. He's going to rescue them. You know, it's interesting to note, in the book of Exodus, there's a similar thing that happens. When the Hebrew people... Uh, really no fault of their own. I mean, they're down in Egypt to escape a famine and Pharaoh turns them into slaves. And so over the course of 400 years, the Hebrew people end up being slaves in Egypt. But it says in Exodus 2.23 that their cries went up to the Lord and he heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with them. And then God sent a deliverer to rescue them. When you see people in distress, you often see in response to their distress when they cry out to the Lord that God comes to rescue them. That is good for us to remember when we're in distress because God loves to rescue his people. God loves to come 
to their aid. Now, it may not always be within the same time period that we want, but God is still faithful to come and to rescue us. And this is what he's going to do here for, for the people of Israel. It says in verse 17, And then the people of Ammon gathered together and encamped in Gilead. And the children of Israel assembled together and encamped in Mizpah. And the people, the leaders of Gilead, said to one another, Who is the man who will begin the fight against the people of Ammon? He shall be head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So they've, they've come to this place where they are sorry for their sin of worshiping other gods. They have uh, humbled themselves before God. Their cries went up to heaven. God hears their cries, and his soul is so grieved over their condition, he's going to raise up a judge. But they're wondering, the people of Israel, they're wondering, well, who is this judge that God is going to raise up? Who among us will fight? Who among us will be our leader? And so they're just seeking the Lord with all of this. And then come chapter 11, we are introduced now to the next judge of Israel. Number eight on the list is Jephthah. And uh, he's all in capital letters because he's more of a prominent judge. Uh, he's a bit of a peculiar person in that it's difficult to understand where he's coming from in something that he does here. Um, his, his life is even a bit vague because we don't even know for sure if he's Jewish, if he's Hebrew. Uh, Josephus, the first century Jewish historian, said that uh, Jephthah was a Gentile. We have no reference to any tribe that he belonged to. Um, and, and we're going to see here in a moment that he is the result of uh, an adulterous affair that his dad has with a prostitute and that his brothers reject him because he's considered like this illegitimate son. So his, his, his life is um, a, a little obscure and what we do know about him, um, his, he doesn't get off to a great start, no fault of his own. It's just, you know, the way he's been treated and, and what he was born into. But take a look at his, at his story with me. His name in Hebrew, because again, there's no J in the Hebrew alphabet. His name in Hebrew is actually pronounced Yiftah. Yiftah translates, he will open. And it's probably a reference to how God will open things and God uh, does things. So that's what his name means, Yiftah. And it says in verse 1, now Jephthah, the Gileadite, so we, we find out he's from Gilead, and we're going to find out in a minute that coincidentally his dad also has the same name, uh, but that's not why he's called a Gileadite. That's the territory. But it says, now Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot, of a prostitute. And Gilead, that's his dad's name, begot Jephthah, and then Gilead's wife bore sons, And when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. And then Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob. It's it's a B in English, but it's a V in Hebrew. It's Tov. Tov in Hebrew means good. So this this is the good land. It says, And worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. Okay, so that's the introduction to this guy. Again, we don't know if he's Jewish or Gentile. Uh, what we do know is that his mom was a prostitute. His dad, uh, you know, picked somebody up on Tinder, hooked up for the night, and that was Jephthah. 
And, uh, and so Jephthah's born, but now can you imagine you're born into a family where your mom was a prostitute, the dad had an affair with, so all the other sons born to the marriage of Gilead and his wife, they reject you because they think of you as you're the illegitimate son. You don't really belong to us. And so they, they bully him, they mistreat him, and so he flees, he leaves. And he, and he leaves to this area of Tov. Now, on a map, it would be just southeast of the Sea of Galilee on the Jordanian side of, of Israel. And so that's where he's living. He is separated from his family that lived in Gilead. Gilead is also on the eastern side of the Jordan River in what is today the modern country of Jordan. But he has fled a little bit to the north. He's living by himself. He's been mistreated. He's been shunned. So you gotta, you gotta, you know, have some empathy for this guy. This guy had no say in how he was born, into what family, and now he's being mistreated by the only family that he knows, and they've rejected him. So you know, you could spend some time analyzing this guy. He's, he's dealing with a lot of rejection. He's dealing with obvious dis- discouragement and abandonment and all this other kind of stuff. Now it says there that worthless men banded together with Jephthah. It doesn't mean that these guys were worthless in the sense of they had no value. It just means worthless in the sense that they were poor. They were penniless. They didn't have anything. And uh, these poor guys, financially, materially speaking, they band together with Jephthah, and then they just go, you know, they go raiding. This is, you know, like the Wild West. Uh, This is the Wild West of Tov and Gilead, and they're they're just going around raiding with him. Well, verse 4 says, And it came to pass after a time that the people of Ammon made war against Israel. And so it was when the people of Ammon made war against Israel that the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tov. And then they said to Jephthah, Come and be our commander that we may fight against the people of Ammon. And so Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me and expel me from my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? That's a fair question. That's a fair question. So here's what's happening. You know, the people of Gilead, the Israelites are seeing the forces of Ammon coming against them. They don't have a leader. There's no judge in Israel at this time. And so the elders of Gilead think, you know, who's who's really kind of tough? Who's like a cowboy that we can really, you know, turn to who's going to fight for us and lead us? And everybody's like, oh, yeah, Jephthah, he's going around raiding communities. This guy's a beast. We need to go get him. And they're like, okay. So then they go to Tov and they find him and say, hey, we need you to come back and be our leader. And Jephthah's like, oh, yeah, sure. You kicked me out. We don't want me. And now you're in distress and you want me. How convenient is that? A side note here, I just want to interject this. He is going to be a man that God raises up. And I love the way he's referred to in verse 1 as a mighty man of valor. Do you remember that Gilead, uh, sorry, not Gilead, Gideon was also referred to as a mighty man of valor. Even though at the time they didn't necessarily see themselves that way. What I love about the story of Jephthah, there's some problems in this story. But one of the things I love about this story is that his family of origin was not nearly as important as his relationship with God. Because God is going to use this guy who's been rejected by his family of origin. God is going to use this guy to be a mighty leader in the land of Israel. That's important for us to recognize because sometimes we need to be reminded that our heritage in the Lord is much more important than your heritage of origin. 
God can take our lives no matter what kind of family we came out of. Jephthah comes out of this family that rejected him. His mom was a prostitute. And yet God's going to take this guy and use him for his glory as a leader in the land of Israel. Don't ever think that because you came from this kind of family or that kind of family, that somehow that makes you unusable. No, in service to the Lord, he often chooses the despised things, the things that don't seem to be of wise standards to show himself strong in the life of an individual. And so no matter what your family of origin or what your beginnings, God will use you for his glory. And he's, that's what he's going to do here with Jephthah. So Jephthah pushes back and he's like, you know, isn't this convenient? You want me now, you didn't want me then. But nevertheless, he's going to go. Verse 8, and the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, that is why we have turned again to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the people of Ammon and be our head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. And so Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, if you take me back home to fight against the people of Ammon and the Lord delivers them to me, shall I be your head? You know, he wants a little confirmation here. You're going to take me back home and you're going to actually make me your leader. I love the way, by the way, he says, if you take me back home. Tov was never really his home. That's just where he fled to because he was rejected. He wanted to go back home. And so he asks, are you going to make me your leader if I go to all this effort? It says in verse 10, and the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, the Lord will be a witness between us if we do not do according to your words. And then Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and commander over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. Now Jephthah sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon, saying, What do you have against me that you have come to fight against me in my land? Okay, they now have installed him as judge. The words he spoke before the Lord in Mizpah means that he made this commitment to God that he would be God's man for this hour. So God has divinely orchestrated this, using the elders of Gilead to move Jephthah into this place of Leadership as a judge in Israel. The first thing that he does is diplomacy. That's the first thing that he does with the army of Ammon. He sends a messenger to say to the armies, to the leaders of Ammon, what do you have against me? Why do you want to come fight against me and against Israel here? So he tries the, the diplomacy first. It isn't going to work, but he tries it. Verse 13, and the king of the people of Ammon answered the messengers of Jephthah, because Israel took away my land. When they came up out of Egypt from the Arnon as far as the Jabbok and to the Jordan, now therefore restore those lands peaceably. And so Jephthah again sent messengers to the king of the people of Ammon. And he said to him, thus says Jephthah, Israel did not take away the land of Moab, nor the land of the people of Ammon. For when Israel came up from Egypt, they walked through the wilderness as far as the Red Sea and came to Kadesh. Now, I'm going to pause here in what he's saying here because I want you to understand what he's doing. He's actually about to quote an entire chapter from the book of Numbers. He knows his own, uh, the history of Israel. So whether he actually is Gentile, like Josephus said he was, or whether he's Jewish, he certainly knows Jewish history. And he's going, to re, he's going to recite here basically an entire chapter from Numbers and some sections from the book of Deuteronomy. And he's going to recite to the king of Ammon, here's what really happened. 
And so he, verse 17, and so he keeps reciting their history. He says, then Israel sent messengers to the king of Edom saying, please let me pass through your land. But the king of Edom would not heed. And in like manner, they sent to the king of Moab, but he would not consent. And so Israel remained in Kadesh. And they went along through the wilderness and bypassed the land of Edom and the land of Moab and came to the east side of the land of Moab and encamped on the other side of the Arnon. But they did not enter the border of Moab, for the Arnon was the border of Moab. Our days are sometimes filled with nonstop movement, aren't they? The pastors, staff, and community here at Cornerstone Connection don't want you to miss out on nuggets of wisdom from God's Word. We encourage you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can connect with us from anywhere. Interested in hearing more? Go to cornerstoneconnection.cc, where Pastor Gary Hamrick has more audio messages for you to tune into. Scroll down until you see the space that says Teaching Library. Once there, we've made it as simple as possible to search by topic, speaker, or book. We pray that you'll be uplifted and encouraged in your walk with Jesus. That website again is cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you're in the Leesburg area, we'd love for you to stop by. We have Sunday services at 8.30, 10, and 11.45. Is the middle of your week more free? Come join us on Wednesday evenings then at 7. Were you blessed by what you heard today? Would you consider donating some of your resources? If so, it's pretty simple. You can use our mobile app or click on the Give Now tab found at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but we look forward to our next time together right here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.